red arms. Give it your all. We'll, we'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girl so they'll not cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack on the Shadows. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm your host, Justin, and today we are jumping into Chapter 8, Hard Heads. And we're jumping into Elaine's perspective. Um, this is just after Egwene had left uh, Rand's room that she had shown up with Elaine, but Elaine stayed behind, and we're about to see what happens from Elaine's perspective. So the whole chapter is from her her perspective, I believe, unless there was something that I missed. It might have changed. Ah, yes, it does change to, um, I believe, Egwene's perspective at a little bit after Elaine leaves, but we'll get to that as we go. Um, so we start out with Elaine not being sure that Rand even realized that she's still there because she's still kind of like looking out, looking out uh, at the door that uh, Egwene had left, and he's kind of like bewildered, at least half bewildered at least, and uh, now he seems like he's arguing with himself or whatever, and then she's just like, I'll just, you know, stay here until he realizes I'm here, and um, trying to put off the moment, and, you know, trying to give her the, herself the royal composure of, you know, back straight, head hiled high, holding her hands in her laps, just calmness in her face, and, you know, but she's got butterflies the size of hedgehogs frolicking in her stomach, which is, that's got to be pleasant. And she's not afraid of him channeling. She had to let go of Sidar, or she had let go of Sidar when Egwene stood to leave. But she wants to trust him. She has to. But if, if this is what she wants to happen, that's what she's got to do. But what actually had her trembling wasn't him channeling as much as it was her trying to make this work. But she's trying to, like, she's wearing sapphires and all these, these gems that we had mentioned in the prior chapter when they had first gone in um, that they'd gotten from Avienda to borrow. And she's trying to figure out, like, is the perfume heavy? No. Wagoyne said he liked the smell of roses. So Rand likes the smell of roses. Now, I've smelled a couple of roses before in my time, and they don't really have a very small, a strong smell, so I'm not really sure how they do that in this, but whatever. They do smell okay, but they smell like plants. <laughs> I know. I'm not particularly fancy in life. And she, her dress, she constantly wants to tug it up, but, you know, keeping her bosom exposed a little bit is supposed to draw the male gaze in this particular instance, which is what she wants. But then he turns with a slight limp um, in his step, but it tightens her lips thoughtfully. So then, you know, she, he sees her sitting in the chair and is like, what? Whoa, what? what? You're still here? But she's kind of like happy that it like throws him off. But he recovers and he's like bowing unnecessarily, wiping his hands on his coat. He's like, oh, I didn't realize you were still, you know, trying not to insult her. He's like, well, I mean, I, I didn't. That is, I'm not as much of a fool as I sound, my lady. It's not every day someone tells you they don't love you. And... She puts on a tone of mock severity. She's like, if you call me that again, I shall call you my lord dragon and curtsy. Even the queen of Andor might curtsy to you, and I'm only the daughter heir. He's like, oh, light, don't do that. She's like, I won't, Rand. 
If you call me by a name, that is. Elaine. Say it. <laughs> I'm just like... <laughs> so, so forceful. And he's like, Elaine. And he seems a little delighted but awkward at saying it. And he's like, good. And he's like, did it hurt you very much? You know, what, what Egwene said to you about not loving you? He's like, no. Well, yeah, but I don't know. Like, fair is fair. And, you know, I sound like a fool again, don't I? He's like, no, not to me. It's like, I told her the pure truth, but I don't think she believed me. And if you remember from chapter seven, Egwene had a, a moment where she's like, oh, he's trying so hard. Like, she didn't believe him when he said it. He, I don't know if he believed it when he said it, per se, but at the same time, he did mean it, possibly for different reasons. Um, I think he was expecting her to still like him despite him not able to like her because of who he is because he thinks he can't like people because of who he is um so like he wanted to let her down was surprised and shocked that she said she was letting him down and she didn't believe that he was okay with it and it was just discombobulated obviously like both sides surprised at the other person to some extent but she didn't believe him, and he's like, I don't think she believed me, but I told her the pure truth. So now he's telling Elaine, like, this is this is my feelings. Now, he could be lying, but I don't think he has a reason to. He's like, well, I didn't want to believe it of her. Not really, but if that's not foolish, I don't know what is. He's like, if you tell me you're a fool any more times, I'm going to probably believe it. She's like, I saw a Kyrian and a Lord's Fool once, a man in a funny striped coat, too big for him and sewn with bells. You would look silly wearing bells. <laughs> and it's like, well, not all fools are just like that. But he's like, I guess I would. I'll remember that. But then his grin gets really wide and his whole face warms up. And the butterfly's wings flogged at her for haste. But she's, you know, straightening her skirts, which is a thing that happens a lot in uh, The Wheel of Time. Robert Jordan loves to make women straighten their like it, it makes sense, and I know a lot of people make fun of it, but the making you know straightening their dresses and whatever is like a way of visually showing someone's body language to somebody who can't visibly see them, and whether it be crossing their arms beneath their breasts, which gives you the stance of like I'm not putting up with your nonsense, and then you have straightening your uh, your dress or your skirts, whatever. And that gives you the sign of they're gathering themselves or gathering their thoughts or trying to distract from potentially their face or something like that. Like there's, it's a, it's a body language thing. And a lot of people make fun of Robert Jordan for these kind of things is like, Oh yeah, these women always, you know, he's always mentioning their breasts and, you know, always mentioning them, straightening their... No one ever does that. It's like, well, it's a visual medium for a non-visual medium. He's describing through words a visual stance or a visual... Uh, a visual action that can let you, in your mind, know what they're doing because if they never straighten their skirts, you just have this you have two like mannequins standing at each other and all you're doing is hearing words, but there's no poses. There's no nothing because you don't know what they're doing. So her like straightening her skirts is a way of you to see like, okay, she's a little, she's a little tussled at the moment. So she's trying to gather her thoughts and, you know, do this right. And it's like, well, 
she even follows up with, if I don't do this right, he'll think I'm just a foolish girl and he'll be right. But the butterflies in her belly were just beating kettle drums now. And he's like, would you like a flower? And she's like, what? A flower? He's like, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I made one for the Mahir last night. You thought I had given her the stone, but yours will be much prettier. Much, much prettier. I promise. And he's like, grand. He's like, I'll be careful. It only takes a trickle of the power, just a thread. And I'll be very careful. She has to trust him. And she was kind of surprised, at least a small surprise, that she actually did. And she's like, oh, I'd like that. These flowers. Because he starts turning a fluffy mound into his hands and let the feathers fall, dusting his hands like flowers. That's not a gift for you. But her heart goes out to him. Clearly, he tried to embrace Sidene and failed, um, masking disappointment in action, which is another thing that basically explains uh, an action of, of a visual medium is like using a character to be like, oh, flowers are not, not good for you. And then being like, oh, well, there's an alternate reason for that, which she would understand because of the previous conversations of that he struggled to reach the, the one power and failed. So he's like, oh, no, 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 that won't do it. Um, so he limps over to this metallic cloth and began gathering over his arms. Like, now this is a proper gift for the daughter heir of Andor. You'd have a, a seamstress make, and he's trying to figure out what a, seam, a seamstress can make with a four-paced length of gold and silver cloth less than two feet wide. And she's diplomatically tells him, you know, hey, I'm sure the seamstress will have a lot of ideas. But she pulls the handkerchief from her sleeve. She kneels down for a moment to collect the feathers he had dropped under the square of pale blue silk. So the maids will take care of that. And she tucks the small bundle securely in her her belt pouch. And he's like, well, this bit is done. Um, But then there's like this awkward pause. And he's like, the Mahir must have a seamstress. I'll give that to one of them. And he brightens, smiling. She didn't have a reason to, you know, tell him she meant it as a gift. Those butterflies are just not letting her hold back anymore. So she just kind of comes out with it. Rand, do you like me? And he's like, like you? Well, of course I like you. I like you very much. <laughs> like, he's not picking up what she's putting down because guys can be daft like that sometimes. And... She's like, I'm fond of you, Rand. And she was startled that she said it so calmly, considering she's trying to throw up because the butterflies are just driving her nuts. She's like, more than fond. And she's like doing this stubborn thing where she's like, he has to say more than like first. She's almost giggling hysterically. And he's like, I'll keep control of myself. I will not let him see me behave like a moon-eyed girl. I won't. He's like, I am fond of you. Really slowly. She's like, I'm not usually so forward. And then he, she's like, oh, no, 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 no. He's going to start thinking of Barrelane. And now he has red in his cheeks. And he's like, he was thinking of Barrelane. Burn him. I was like, well, you gave him the idea, to be fair. And she's like, soon I'll have to go, Ran, to leave Tyr. And I might not see you for months. Or potentially ever. And she's like, okay, well, I could not go without letting you know how I feel. I am very fond of you. <laughs> And he's like, Elaine, I am fond of you. I feel I, I want... And it's like, God. His cheeks are getting really, really red. And he's like, I, I don't know what, what to say or how to. And then now her face is flaming because he must think that she is trying to force him to saying something else. And he's like, well, aren't you? He's like, right, I'm not asking for 
And then she's like, oh, I only wanted you to know how I feel. That is all. And Baron Lane would not have let it go at that, but Baron Lane would have wrapped him around, wrapped herself around him by now. And he's like, oh, well, I'm not going to let that half-dressed snip be better than me. So she moves closer to him, takes the glittering cloth from his arm, and drops it on the carpet. And for some reason, he seemed taller than he ever had been before. Well, I mean, he is ridiculously tall. He's like, Rand, Rand, I want you to kiss me. And he's like, what? Kiss you? Like he doesn't know what kissing is. Elaine, I don't want to promise you more than, I mean, it isn't as if we were betrothed. Not that I'm suggesting we should be. It's just that I am fond of you, Elaine, more than fond. I I just do not want you to think I, and she's like laughing and he's kind of confused, trying to be earnest about everything. He's like, I don't know how things are done in the Two Rivers, but in Camelin, you don't wait until you're betrothed before kissing a girl. And it does not mean you become, must become betrothed either. Maybe you don't know how, but before she could even finish that sentence. His arms wrapped around her almost roughly, and her, his lips fell on hers, and her head spun, and her toes tried to curl up into her slippers. And eventually later, she's not sure how long it took, but she realized she was leaning against his chest, knees trembling, trying to gulp air. He's like... Forgive me for interrupting you. And he had a little bit of breathlessness in his voice, which she was glad to hear. It's like, I'm just a backward shepherd from the two rivers. She murmurs against the shirt, like, oh, you're uncouth and did not shave this morning, but I would not say you are backward. He's like, Elaine. And she puts her hand on his mouth and he's like, I don't want to hear anything from you that you do not mean with your whole heart. Not now or ever. He nods and he figures it out. He's like, okay. But then she straightens her hair and the sapphires tangled beyond mending without a mirror. It's like, what, what the heck happened to make those tangled? <laughs> but she she could stay here for a long time, but she's trying to go about her day. Let's put it that way. But she's asking for a kiss and speaking up like that was very much a different thing that she was very used to mostly because she I don't think she's ever made out with anybody before but she's not barreling so she was funny that she was asking um but then she's thinking of like barreling and then men's men had a viewing and what men saw happened so but she wouldn't share him with barreling maybe she needs to do a bit more plain speaking Obliquely plain, at least. He's like, well, I expect you will not lack for company after I go. Just remember that some women see a man with their hearts, while others see no more than a bauble to wear, no different than a necklace or a bracelet. Remember that I will come back, and I am one who sees with her heart. He's kind of confused and alarmed. And then she's trying to, like, change his mind. He's like, oh, do you know what you have not said to me? You have not tried to fight, frighten me away by telling me how dangerous you are. Well, don't even bother. It's too late. It's like, I didn't even think of it. Did you and Egwene scheme this up between you? Very suspiciously asking. And she combines wide-eyed innocence with mild outrage. She's like, how could you ever consider such a thing? Do you imagine we would hand you around between us like a package? You think a good deal of yourself. There's a, such a thing as overproud. Well, to be fair, she that's exactly what they did. <laughs> Devious. He does look confused, which satisfies her. He's like, are you sorry for what you did to us, Rand? He's like, well, I didn't, I didn't mean to frighten you. I mean... Egwene just made me angry. She's been able to do that without half trying. But that's no excuse. I just said I'm sorry, and I am. And look what it's got me. A burned table and another mattress ruined. And she's like, and 
the pinch. It's like, no, 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 I'm not sorry for that. The two of you talking over my head as if I was a lump of wool, wood with no ears. You deserve that much, both of you, and I won't say different. So she considers him, and he rubs his arms through his coat sleeves as she momentarily embraced Sidar. Now, this is another rendition, as we learned from the previous chapter, that he gets goosebumps when women uh, can channel around him. There's not really an explanation. It's just it is. So, she's trying to figure out how to do this because she doesn't really, she doesn't know healing to any degree. So, Elaine is not a healer, doesn't know anything about it at this point. And I don't think she ever does, really, but, um, but she learned a little bits pieces on the edge of it. So, she channels and soothed away the hurt she had given him for the pinch. His eyes widened in surprise. Then he shifts on his feet, you know, testing the absence of pain. He's like, well, for being honest. There's a rap at the door, and Gaul looked in, and he had his head down just in case, you know, something was going on. But then he quick glanced at them, and he raised it, and Elaine's face just colored as soon as she realized what he suspected might be interrupting. And... She nearly had to embrace Sidar and teach him a lesson, which would have been funny to do. Um, but he's like, the High Lords are here. That those, you know, those tyrants, they're they're here as you expected. And she's like, I'm gonna go. You need to tell them about uh, taxes, wasn't it? Think of what I have said. She didn't say think of me, but it's basically the same thing. He reached out trying to stop her, but she slipped away, and she had no intention of putting on a display in front of Gaul. The man was Aiel, but. What must you think of her, wearing perfume and sapphires at this hour of the morning? It required real effort not to pull the neckline of her dress up higher. The High Lords entered as she reached the door, a cluster of graying men in pointed beards and colorful, ornate coats with puffy sleeves. There's an image for you. They got out of her way with reluctant bows, bland faces and polite murmurs, not hiding their relief that she's leaving. Probably didn't want anybody else to see them be humiliated in front of the Dragon Report. But she glances back at the doorway. A tall, broad-shouldered young man in a plain green coat among the high lords in their silks and satin stripes. Rand looked like a stork among peacocks. Yet there was something about him. A presence that he commanded there by right. The tyrants recognized it, bending their stiff necks reluctantly. He thought probably they bowed just because... He was the Dragon Reborn, and perhaps they thought so too. But he had seen men, like Gareth Bryn, the captain commander of her mother's guards, who could have dominated a room in rags with no title and no one knowing their name. Rand might not know it, but he was such a man. She had noticed it when they first met, but he still is now. Now, that's kind of a, a big, I want to say a compliment, but it's also a, a feeling that's kind of kind of supposed to set future encounters and even prior encounters to like if you go back and read him again when he deals with people like when he was in Kyrian and they thought he was a lord and whatever like he just he's beginning to behave like training with Lan and learning the sword forms like cat of course cat crossing the courtyards as a the sword stance which gives you that arrogant saunter and whatnot but other things that like teaches him to face things on his feet, as Lan would say. 
those kind of things are now compiling into how Rand, who is officially the open in the air Dragon Reborn and has an entire nation behind him now and things like that are uh, things that are amalgamating into a ginormous non-physical statue, so to speak, around him that gives like an aura of his presence among others who notoriously like the Tyron High Lords are like they are the power of Tyr. So them <laughs> them being this way and understanding even if not directly explains the fact that his aura is kind of dominating the room when they're used to their auras dominating the room and it's not. So it's an interesting scenario and she leaves the Aiel at the entrance glance at her, but the captain commanding the ring of defenders, you know, just stared uneasily, but she didn't even really notice them. She's like, it's done. Or at least started, you know, four days before she has to take uh joy or send Joya and Amiko uh, on a ship up to uh, Tarvalon. She's like, I got four days to twine herself so firmly into Rand's thoughts that he had no room for Barrelane. And if not that, you know, she stayed inside his head until she had a chance to do more. She had never thought she might do something like this. Stalk a man like a hunter stalking a wild boar. I'm like, oh, yeah, she's a stalker. <laughs> but then uh, she still has the butterflies in her stomach, but she had not let him see how nervous she was, and she hadn't thought once of what her mother might say. But that, the flutterings vanished, and she just like, I don't care what my mother thinks. Morghese has to accept her daughter as a woman, and that's all there is to it. But the Aiel bowed as she moved away, and she acknowledged them with a gracious nod. That would have done Morghese proud, and the tyrant captain looked at her as if he had seen her in a new serenity. She didn't think the butterflies were going to bother her again. Well, maybe for the Black Aja, but not for Rand. <laughs> like, well, okay. Now we're switching to Rand, because he had to sneak in a little bit before Aglaine. His perspective. He watches the door close behind Elaine with wonder. Dreams coming true, even at this much, made him uneasy. A swim in the waterwood was one thing, and he would never have believed a dream where she came to him like this. She had been so cool and collected while he's tripping over his own tongue and given his own thoughts back to him and only concerned she might hurt him. It's like, why was it women could go to pieces or fly into a rage over the smallest thing yet never flicker an eyelash over what left you gaping? The High Lord Sunamon murmurs like, My Lord Dragon? More diffidently than usual. Water this morning must have spread through the stone. The first lot had nearly run on their way out, and it was doubtful Torion would have shown his face or his filthy suggestions anywhere near Rand. Sudamon was pulling out an ingratiating smile and smothered it, dry-washing his plump hands. Plump hands being keyword, he's a plump guy. Um, Rand just looked at him, and the rest pretended they didn't see the burned tables or the shattered mattress and scattered books and the half-melted lumps over the fireplace that had been the stag and wolves. The High Lords were good at seeing only what they wanted to see. Like most people. Carleon and Tadosian, false self-efficament of 
every line of their thick bodies, you know. They never realize there's anything suspicious in never looking at anyone at one another, you know. Well, Rand might never have noticed if not for Tom's note found in the pocket of a coat just back from being brushed. Tom's working in the background, being very, very useful. I mean, what's what's the greatest story a Gleeman can tell? Yeah, I used to work with the Dragon Reborn, or I work with the Dragon Reborn, and I kept his head on his shoulders by pitting politicians and lords against each other, and they never knew. <laughs> That's a pretty pretty great story. It's kind of like Loyal, where Loyal's like, I want to write the, the story of the Dragon Reborn. It's like, I gotta be there, I gotta write stuff, blah, blah, blah. So, that in itself is kind of a reward for them. But Zunamon's like, well, the Lord Dragon wished to see us. And now he's thinking about Egwene and Elaine working, working it up between them. He's like, definitely not. Definitely yes. Women don't do things like that any more than men. Did they? Yes. Yes, they do. Um, it's like it had to be coincidence. Elaine heard that he was free and decided to speak it. That was it. Taxes! The tyrants didn't move, but they gave the impression of stepping back. He didn't really like dealing with these guys. He wanted to go back into his books. But then uh, Mylan, a lean, gray-haired man with an oily voice and tall for a tyrant, only a hand shorter than Rand, but as hard as any defender, spoke up. He's like, it's a bad precedent, my lord dragon, lowering taxes. He holds himself in a stoop in Rand's presence. His dark eyes, another noted feature, showed how he hated it, but he had hated it when Rand told them to stop crouching around him, too. None of them straightened, but Mylan especially had not liked being reminded of what he did. So the peasants have always paid us easily, but if we lower their taxes, when the day comes where we raise them back to where they are now, the fools will complain as bitterly as if we had doubled the present levy. There might well be riots when the day comes, my lord. And he's like, or I should say, Rand just runs over and stands in front of Kalendor, the crystal sword glittering, outshining the gilt and gemstones around it. A reminder of who he was, of the power he could wield. He thinks of Gwaine. He's like, it's foolish to hurt her feelings because she no longer loved him, but why should he expect her to have feelings for him when he didn't have them for her? But it did hurt. A relief, not pleasant. So here we're getting kind of a de uh, more information on... He was speaking truthfully to Egwene. Egwene didn't believe him. He didn't think that she believed him. He told Elaine that it was the truth, but whether she believed him or not is another thing at all. But now we know as the re reader and the viewer, he was telling the truth. But he's like, you're going to have riots if you drive men off their farms. But then there's also some books by uh, Mylan's feet. The Treasures of the Stone of Tear, Travels in the Waste, and the Dealings with the Territory of Mayan. The key lay in those, in the various translations of the Carathion Cycle, if he could only find them and fit them to the proper locks. And he pushes his mind back to the High Lords. He's like, do you think they'll watch their family starve and do nothing? And Sunamon just tried to soothe him by going, well, the Defenders of the Stone have put down riots before, my lord. Our own guards can keep the peace in the countryside, but peasants will not disturb you. I give you our, our assurance. And then uh, Carleon's like, there are too many farmers as it is. But then Rand glares at him. He's like, what I'm saying is it's the, it's the civil war in Kyrian, my lord dragon. 
The Karinen can buy no grain, and the granaries are bursting. This year's harvest will go to waste as it is, and next year... Burn my soul, my lord dragon. But what we need is for some of these peasants to stop their eternal digging and planting. He seemed to realize he had said too much, but he clearly did not understand why. Ren wondered whether he had any idea how food got to his table. <laughs> they see nothing but gold and power? And Ran's like, What are you going to do when Kyrian is buying grain again? For that matter, is Kyrian in the only land that needs grain? But then he like switches into his mind back. He's like, Why had Elaine spoken up like that? What did she expect of him? Fawn, she said. Women could play games with words like Aes Sedai. Well, she's trying to be Aes Sedai, so that makes sense. Did she mean she loved him? No, that was plain foolishness. Overproud to a degree. But Mylan's like, my lord dragon, half subservient, half like he's trying to explain it to a child. He's like, if the civil wars stopped today, Kyrian still could not buy more than a few barge loads for two, even three years. We have always sold our grain to Kyrian. Always. For the 20 years since the Aiel War. <laughs> always. They were bound out. Uh, they were always bound in what had always been done. Not that they could see that that was so simple, but... Or just wouldn't see it. When the cabbages sprouted like weeds around Emmons Field, it was near certainty that bad rain or white worm had struck Devon Ride or Watch Hill. When Watch Hill had too many turnips, Emmons Field would have a shortage. Or Devon Ride. So what he's trying to get at is that basically when one place has a surplus of one product, another place has a need of that product somewhere. And that's the point is that you have a lot of this stuff. It's available. So all you have to do is find somebody who needs that. And if Kyrian can't pay for it, you can trade with somebody else. That way your farmers still farm your, your, um, your barns aren't bursting, you know, all that kind of stuff. We don't want to, we don't want to waste our food, but food has to get to your table anyway. So having more food for the peasantry also makes the peasantry happier, which produces better work progress and such. Well, he's like, well, offered an Ilion. But he's also thinking to himself, what does Elaine expect me to do? He's like, oh, or Alta, yeah, sorry, Altara. He does like Elaine, but he also likes Min just as much. At least he thinks he does. It's impossible to sort out his feelings for either of them. You've got ships for the sea as well as riverboats and barges, and if you don't have enough, hire them from Mayan. He liked both women, but beyond that, he had spent very nearly his whole life mooning after Egwene, and he was not about to dive into that again unless he was absolutely sure. Well, at least sure of something. If dealing with that territory of man was to believe, you know, stop this. Keep your mind on these weasels, or they'll find craps to slip through and bite you on the way. So you pay with grain. I'm sure the first will be amenable for a good price and maybe a signed agreement, a treaty. That was a good word, the sort they used. Pledging to leave Mayan alone in return for ships. He owed her that. And Tadosian sounds a little scandalized, as well as Mylan, but Tadosian's like, well, we tried little with Ilion, my lord dragon. They are vultures and scum. And Mylan followed up with, we have always dealt with Mayen from strength, my lord dragon, never from bent knee. And Rand takes a deep breath, and the High Lord's tense. It always came down to this. He tried to reason with them, and it always failed. Tom said the High Lord's had heads as hard as the stone, and he was right. 
How do I feel for her? Dreaming about her? She's certainly pretty. He was not sure if he meant Elaine or Min. Stop this. A kiss means no more than a kiss. Stop it. Putting women firmly out of his head, he set himself to telling these stone brain fools what they were going to do. He's like, first you're going to cut taxes on farmers by three quarters and on everyone else by half. Don't argue, just do it. Second, you go to Bear Lane and ask. Ask her for the price of hiring. The High Lords listened with false smiles and grinding teeth, but they listened. So he's doing some interesting things, which is probably from the help of um, Tom as well. And namely, basically what is happening from a political standpoint is he's deconstructing and decentralizing their power and authority by a lot and increasing his popularity by a lot. So when the High Lords drop prices, everyone knows the Lord Dragon's there, and I would assume most people would have at least some rumor of who the Dragon Reborn is slash was. You find out he was like, oh, he was a peasant, he was a farmer, that kind of stuff that could ingratiate the people of Tyr, all the tyrants, into his good graces, while also simultaneously reducing the authority of the tyrant high lords, which they obviously don't like, but they can't really complain with the guy who could literally just burn them to cinders right here and there. And on top of that, he's forcing them to make treaties with Mayen that would lock them more or less into a systematic, uh, basically make them become, what do you call it? Uh, untrustworthy, uh, dishonest, disloyal, whatever you want to call it. Um, if they break that treaty, so the rest of the world would basically be like, oh, well, we can't deal with Tyr because they're just going to break their promises. And it's a very bad look from a political standpoint. So, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's, he's doing a good job of basically just making some people's lives better while simultaneously also keeping the economy flowing and the High Lords on their toes. So... Now we're switching over to Egwene, and she's thinking about Joya and Amiko when Matt, surprisingly, falls in beside her, just walking down the hallway as if he merely happened to be going the same way, but he's, you know, frowning to himself. She notices his hair needs brushing, like he'd been scrubbing his fingers through it. Occasionally, he'd glance at her, but doesn't say anything, and the servants pass, they bowed or curtsied, and occasionally high lords and ladies with less mar less enthusiasm. But Matt's lip curls, uh, curling stares at the nobles would have brought trouble if she had not been there, friend of the dragon or not. Now, I... I disagree with that. <laughs> there, news has gone around already with him, so I think, I think that's fine. Um, but the silence isn't like him. Not the Matt she knew, except for his... Nice red coat, wrinkled as if he had slept in it. Um, keep in mind, it was a fine red coat. He does change his colors occasionally, but typically it leans more towards the green or brown. But, is last is night troubling you, she asks. And he's like, you know about that? Well, 
You would, wouldn't you? Don't bother. Wasn't too much over and done with anyway. But she's like pretending to believe him. He's like, well, not even I don't see much of you. That was a very, very big understatement. He's like, I've been busy. And he has an uncomfortable shrug looking everywhere at her, or everywhere but at her. He's like, dicing? He's like, cards. But a plump maid curtsies with her arms full of folded towels, glanced at Egwene, and apparently thinking she wasn't looking, winked at Matt, and he grins at her. I've been busy playing cards. But her eyebrows rise short, uh, sharply. That woman had to be ten years older than Nynaeve, so in her mid-thirties. He's like, I see. It must be... You use up a great deal of time playing cards. Too much to spare a few moments for old friends. He's like, the last time I spared you a moment, you and Nynaeve tied me up with the power like a pig from market so you could rummage through my room. Friends don't steal from friends. And he grimaced. Besides, you were always without Elaine with her nose in the air. Or Moraine. I do not like... And he looks at her. Obviously, he was going to say I to die, but... I don't like taking up your time. You are busy, from what I hear. Questioning dark friends. Doing all sorts of important things, I should imagine. You know these tyrants think you are Aes Sedai, don't you? She shook her head and, like, it's, it, it wasn't Aes, it was Aes Sedai he did not like, but however much of that the world Matt saw, nothing would ever change him. It's not stealing to take back what was supposed to be a loan. To be fair, they never said they loaned it to him. It's like, and this is what he follows up. I don't remember you saying anything about a loan. Ah, uh, what used to I have for a letter from the Armorland? Just get me in trouble. You could have asked, though. Which is to fair. They could have just asked instead of just forcefully like raiding his house like the SWAT team or something. She refrained from pointing out they had asked, which I wonder how they asked, because knowing them asking, it wasn't much of asking. Um, but she didn't want an argument or a sulky departure. He would not call it that, but you know, she's trying to get him away from the, his version. It's like, well, I'm glad you're willing to talk to me still. Is there any special reason for today? He shoved his fingers through his hair and muttered to himself, and he needs his mother to haul him off by his ear for a long talking to. I'm like, about what? <laughs> but Egwene's like, oh, let's be patient, be patient. She has to be patient, and she can be when she wants to, but she wouldn't say a word before he did if she burst for it. But then they keep walking down, you know, corridors, and he's like, I need some advice. And she, her eyes nearly pop out of her head. He wants advice from her? She's like, whatever I can do to help. He turns his head to her, and she did her best to assume something like an Aes Sedai calm. What do you want advice about? He's like, I don't know. There's a ten-base drop to the garden, and there were men down there weeding those roses. If she pushed him over, he might land on one. A gardener, not a rose bush. How am I supposed to advise you, then? It's like, I'm trying to decide what to do. And he looks kind of embarrassed. She decides he has a reason to be. It's like, I hope you're not trying to leave. You know how important you are. You can't run away from it, Matt. It's like, you think I don't know that? I don't think I could leave if Maureen told me I could. Believe me, Egwene, I'm not going anywhere. I just want to know what's going to happen. His voice gets tighter, and he's like, what comes next? What's in these holes in my memory? There are chunks in my life that aren't there, they don't exist, or they never happened. Why do I find myself spouting gibberish? People say it's the old tongue, but it's goose gabble to me. I want to know, Egwene, and I have to know before I go as crazy as Rand. Like, Rand isn't crazy. Well, Matt's not trying to run away, that's pleasant. 
He had seemed to believe in response or he had not seemed to believe in responsibility, which obviously she knows nothing about him in that regard. But there's pain and worry in his voice. It's like, I do I do not know answers. Maybe Moraine. He's like, Nope. No, I said I. I mean, you're different. I know you. And you aren't, you know. Don't they teach anything in the tower the tower about some trick or other that would serve? And he's like, Oh, I'm so sorry, Matt. And his laugh's like, ah, well, I guess it doesn't matter. It'd still be the tower if second hand. No offense to you. And yeah. Just as he had moaned over a splinter in his finger and treated a broken leg as if it were nothing at all. He's like, well, there might be a way. If Moraine says it's all right, she might. Moraine, haven't you heard a word I said? The last thing I want to do is Moraine meddling. What way? <laughs> and he'd always, Matt had always been rash from her perspective. And wanted, he wanted no more than she did to know. If only he showed a little sense and caution for once. But a passing tyrant noblewoman with dark braids coiled about her head, shoulders bare above yellow linen, bent her knee slightly, looking at them with no expression, and walked on quickly with a stiff back. Egwene watched her until she was well beyond earshot, and they were alone, unless the gardeners, thirty feet below, counted. Matt was staring at her, waiting. In the end, she told him about the Tirangrial, the twisted doorway that held answers on the other side. It was the dangers she emphasized, and the consequences of foolish questions, and those touching the shadow... The dangers even I said I might not know. She was more than flattered that he'd come to her, but he had to show a little sense. You have to remember, Matt. Frivolous questions can get you killed, so if you do use it, you have to be serious for a change, and you mustn't ask any questions that touch the shadow. He had listened with greater and greater incredulity, but when she was done, he was like, Three questions? You go in like Billy, I suppose, spend a night and come out ten years later with a purse that's always full of gold and... And she's like, for once in your life, Matram Cawthon, do not talk like a fool. You know very well Tirangrial are not stories. It's the dangers you have to be aware of. Maybe the answers you seek are inside that, this one, but you must not try it before Moraine says you can. You must promise me that, or I promise you will. I will take you to her like a trot on the string, and you know I can. Because Lassnor, I'd be a fool if I did try it, no matter what Moraine says. Walk into a bloody Tirangrial. It's less I want to do with the power, bloody power, not more. You could blot it right out of your mind. Well, it's the only chance I know, Matt. He's like, not for me. No chance at all is better than that. But despite his tone, she wanted to put an arm around him. He'd only make some joke at her expense to try to goose her. He had been incorrigible from the day he was born. But he always he had come to her for help. He's like, I'm sorry, Matt. What will you do? He's like, oh... I suppose play cards, if anybody will play with me. Play stones with Tom, dice in taverns. I can still go as far as the city. But his eyes stray towards a passing maidservant, a slender, dark-haired girl near his own age. I'll find something to take up the time. And her hand itched to slap him, but instead she cautiously said, Matt, you really aren't thinking of leaving, are you? Now, before we go on too far, I'd like to point out that, like, if he's like... Oh, a pretty girl, and she wants to slap him because she thinks instantaneously he's going to do bad things or things that she considers bad things. There's a lot of like cultural differences in this series that they clash so often. Like where Matt's kind of accustoming himself to the world, Egwene's not really, and Nynaeve is really not, at least not as so far. Um, 
they have these ideas in their head of how the world should be and everyone in the world should adhere to them. It's, it's classic. Let's say that. Um, but apparently if a guy finds a girl attractive or whatever, now, obviously in her mind, she thinks he's just going to go dandle her on, on his knee and that's it. Like do things that she finds not good. <laughs> that's, that's her viewpoint of it. It could be a little bit more simple than that, but as you go through the series, you'll you'll learn a bit more about how things are dealt with in this regard. So tuck that away for later if you want to. It's not gonna really come of anything in this particular instance, but just keeping an eye on like how they deal with each other and deal with others can be interesting. And he's like, "You're not really thinking of leaving, are you?" And he's like, "Would you would you tell Moran if I was?" He put his hand up for Stoller. He's like, well, there's no need. I told you I wouldn't. I'm not pretending I, I wouldn't like to, but I'm not gonna. Is that good enough for you? But then a pensive frown pops on his face, and he's like, do you ever wish we were back home, Egwene? None of this ever happened. He's like, no. Even with everything, no. But you? He's like, well, I'd be a fool then, wouldn't I? It's cities I like, and this one will do for now. Uh, this one will do. Egwene, you won't tell Moraine about this, about me asking for advice and all. It's like, why shouldn't I? Being Matt, being Matt, and he's like, well, I've been keeping wider of her than I uh, have of. Well, uh, anyway, let's just say I've been staying clear, especially when she wants to root around in my head. She might think I'm weakening, and you won't tell her, will you? She's like, I won't. If you promise me you won't go near the Tirangarau without asking permission, I shouldn't even have told you about it. Like, well, you should have probably thought of that before. He's like, I promise. He grins. I won't go near that thing unless my life depends on it. I swear with mock solemnity. She shakes her head and is like, however much everything else changed, Matt just never would. Well, that's where you're wrong, kiddo. And that's the end of the chapter. Surprisingly shorter than anticipated. But yeah. What'd you guys think of chapter eight? Had three perspectives. Egwene, Elaine, and Rand. Uh, we had extra characters. We had the High Lords. We had Matt. Um, obviously, we had Gaul and the Aiel, but they didn't do a whole lot. The play of politics is very strong in this particular episode, or chapter, I should say. Um, and there is a bit of... I want to say it's foreshadowing in terms of like how things are going to actually go with each other, but... I'd like to think that it's not a very difficult scenario for them to get through, I suppose. So I'm looking forward to see what else politically shenanigans that Tom and Rand can get themselves into. So hopefully you guys are as well. Um, what do you guys think about Matt asking for advice to Egwene? Um, what do you think about... Elaine uh, dealing with Rand in a romantic fashion. I mean, obviously we had known in prior chapters that she was interested in him, but there was nothing officially stated in that regard. But I'd like to hear what you guys' thoughts are. Is there anything in this chapter that you thought I might have missed or would like more clarification on? Please let me know. Uh, you can reach out on Facebook and Twitter slash X. 
Um, on Facebook, it's just Tales of Red Arm. On Twitter slash X, it's at Tales of Red Arm. Um, comment on a post or whatever, and I can respond. Um, or if you'd like to go directly to me, um, you can Tales of Red Arm at gmail.com. Um, or you can also join our Discord and join the fun community that we have, which is very, very small. <laughs> uh, I'm not big like other podcasts. But um, you can find that link through the Twitter slash X and also Facebook. Um, if you can't find it or the link doesn't work, leave a message or whatever, or you can reach out to me directly through the, the Gmail um, to... Uh, get that link and I could send you a link directly or whatever, but those links should work and it'd be really fun to have you guys in there and we can chat about wheel of time. So, uh, it, we can do voice chat. We can do uh, text chat, whatever it is that you guys would like to do in a server. Um, I have a whole room of people chatting about wheel of time at the same time is pretty fun. Uh, but yeah, I'd uh, love to hear from you guys, so let me know what you guys think, and we'll see you around for Chapter 9. Until then. We drink all night and dance all day, and on the girls we'll spend our pay, and when we're done, then we'll away to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and struggle the girls be they short or tall, and follow young Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and struggle the girls be they short or tall, then follow Lord Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hug the maids, it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark ones first To dance with Jack of the Shadows Yeah!